The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. I am happy to be with you today, and we are going to be talking about uh, three faiths and three men. Three faiths and three men. Or you could probably put it this way, three levels of faith and three types of men. This subject is near and dear to my heart because there are some factors, some practices, some disciplines in the Christian life that are well within our control. And one of them is the exercise of faith. And uh, we are told in the scriptures that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, it is a much quoted verse, but in truth and in fact, not many of us take the time to build our faith, to strengthen our faith in the scriptures. And uh, as such, uh, we find that we, we tend to, our faith comes short uh, when crisis looms near. And so we're going to be looking at uh, three uh, groups of men. And, and again, it's not that there are groups. One, of course, is a leper. Uh, the next is the centurion in Capernaum. And uh, the third is uh, comprised of the disciples. And I think what we're going to see is there might be a, a different set of levels among the disciples, but it all comes down to one basic category. So we are trusting that the Spirit of God, as we quiet ourselves here in God's presence today, uh, will lead us into truths that can be appropriated. Uh, Truths that can be appropriated. And that's what we're always looking to do, to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, to grow in our understanding of truth. So that said, Our Lord Jesus entered into Capernaum, and uh, of course, from there, well, I should say, before we get there, before he gets to Capernaum, in uh, Matthew chapter 8, he came down from the mountain when he gave his, uh, if you will, the, the teachings of what a heavenly life looks like when it's lived out on the earth, and uh, that sort of life makes us uh, divinely sent, divinely created uh, culture change agents. Uh, we are counterculture. We are salt and light in a cosmos that's filled with darkness and decay. And uh, when light is cast into darkness, however small the flame, it illumines a great space. 
And of course, when salt is sprinkled, it also has a corresponding healing effect as well as a deterrent from decay. So that's what we are. And uh, we're looking at a leper. As soon as he comes down from the mountain, there were great crowds there. And uh, we are told, behold, a leper came up to him and did him homage, saying, Lord, if you will, you are able to cleanse me. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be cleansed. And immediately, and I repeat, immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus says to him, see that you tell no man, but go show yourself to the priest and offer uh, the gift which Moses ordained for a testimony to them. I love the, uh, the rendering, I believe, in the book of Luke that he published. This man published far and wide what the Lord Jesus did for him. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. And this is what happens when uh, we receive from God, whether as uh, in response to uh, the prayer of faith that we've been praying long and, and uh, consistently for a particular matter or circumstance, a change, a, a, an open door, perhaps. And God answers that. And we go away rejoicing. We want to tell people that God is a living God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a living God. And he hears and answers prayer. And so this leper, this leper, I concluded, has what is normal faith. He has faith as it should be. And how do we know that? Well, we can, we can parse it out a bit, but he came beseeching. He was calling on the Lord Jesus. He was begging. And very often in the original languages, this is what we find, that that we take the position of a lesser to a greater when we are asking of God. And uh, he's striving to appease. The, 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 the intrinsic meaning is to strive to appease by entreaty. So we're asking, but we're humbling ourselves as we are asking. And in another uh, um, uh, rendering, uh, the original word is that he worshipped he worshiped. He gave to the Lord Jesus his due. He gave to God the glory that is rightly his. He acknowledged, he worshiped the Lord Jesus. So he came beseeching, humbling himself, but he worshiped him. And then he said something that I think many uh, Christians struggle with. But he said, Lord, if you will, you are able. And those two thoughts go together. Our God is an omnipotent God. There's no, there's nothing we are told, there's nothing too hard for him. He's an omnipotent God. And the, the key, the, the, the one factor that may uh, be a variable is, is it his will? The thing we're asking. Well, often what we are, what we are, are, uh, constrained to do is to search the scriptures and to compare uh, our circumstance with those who have gone before us and what have they come to God for. In the Old Testament, we have those that wanted children. They were barren, sometimes women or, or couples. Uh, we have kings that were threatened by larger forces and they wanted deliverance. Uh, 
you know, we have a circumstance like Jacob as he was uh, wanting protection from Esau. Of course, you know, he did wrong, but he, he owned his wrong and he was seeking mercy from God and found it. We have examples like Abraham as he came into a, a land that uh, he was directed to by the, the providential care and direction of God uh, when he got himself in a bad way and left the place of blessing onto Egypt and uh, found himself in a precarious circumstance. Well, he returned to where he was and he continued his practice of calling on God. So we, we have a variety of circumstances in which people have sought the mind and purpose of God for their lives and have prayed accordingly and have found that he was entreated of them. They found his will. They found his will, beseeching him by entreaty, worshiping, recognizing who God is, who in whose presence am I? As is often the case when we think of coming in the presence of God beside still waters. There is a sense in which we are sensitizing our hearts and spirits in such a way that we recognize we are in the presence of the majesty on high. We are in the presence of holy deity. We come as children of God. We come, hopefully, with uh, clarity about his will for the thing we are asking. And what I love about this narrative is that the Lord Jesus says, I will be clean, be cleansed. I will. It is my purpose. And so when we are uh, considering this matter of faith, what kind of faith do I have? Do I have faith as it should be? A certain confidence that God will do for me on my behalf as I have requested. And he says, I will. And what does he say to the man? Be clean, be clean, be clean. And I love, you know, I, 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 I believe it's in either Luke's or Mark's gospel. It, it, it escapes me at the moment. But when he was given the instructions to show yourself to the priest, this, this uh, ceremonial injunction, uh, as was given in the Old Testament, that they would go to the priest and they would be examined by the priest. And based on that examination, they would be declared clean. But this, we're seeing grace in action. Grace always displays itself by a display, an expression of gratitude and rejoicing. This man was happy and he spread it abroad. So much so that <laughs> the entire town came out to be, to meet, to see the one who has done this great thing and to receive of him grace. This leper proclaimed it. He spread it. And we are told, uh, in, I believe it is Mark's gospel. Now, I'm, you know, I'm 
you know, it's coming back to me. <laughs> but in Mark's gospel, I, I think uh, it should be chapter four. Uh, but the, we are told that the whole town, if you will, came out. They wanted to see what had happened. And this man, this leper, went forth, began to proclaim it much, to spread the matter, we are told, so that the Lord Jesus could no longer openly enter into that city. But he had to go to desert places. He had to go to a space where people can come to him. And we are told that they came to him from every side. This is what normal faith does. When a person receives of God the thing that they are requesting, the thing that they are praying for, a normal faith, as it should be, comes to God beseeching by entreaty, recognizing that I am the lesser. And God has no uh, no if you will, constraint that he should answer me, but I am dependent upon his mercy and grace and I beseech him to answer me. But I also give to God his due. I worship him. I come to God with the recognition that he is the supreme, the majesty on high, the creator and sustainer of all that is, all that uh, exists in the heavenlies, principalities and powers, Above and beneath, all creation is subject to him and he keeps it together, that is the Lord Jesus, by the word of his power. But I also come to him with a clear recognition that the thing I asked for is in the center of his will. And how do I get to that understanding? Well, I search the scriptures. I search for like examples and circumstances that seemed parallel to my need and on the basis of God's word, by example and by promise, I lift my heart and hand and voice to heaven, beseeching him that he would intervene on my behalf with the full assurance that I am asking according to his will. And so knowing that he hears I have the petitions that I asked of him. And when he answers, I rejoice. And so this man, instead of fulfilling the ceremonial requirement, he did what grace does. It display, he displayed himself in a life of joy and proclaimed it and spread it. And everyone came. And so in conclusion, as regarding a normal faith, a normal expression of faith, the normal faith says Jesus is sufficient for my need. Jesus is sufficient. Secondly, my need is clearly identifiable. And with that need, I am entreating God as a lesser, as his child. And normal faith, when crying out to God, does so with the clear conviction that I have the thing that I asked of God. I have the thing that I asked of God. In fact, we are told 
for example, uh, if you were to go to Mark uh, chapter 11, the Lord Jesus, when he had uh, cursed uh, the fig tree, and I believe it was Peter that recognized, for example, that um, uh, the fig tree was withered, the Lord Jesus then goes into a brief but very uh, in-depth, powerful teaching about answered prayer and faith in God. And he says, whatsoever things you pray for and ask, or the word is beg in the original language, believe that you receive it and it shall come to pass for you. Believe that you receive it. So the answer doesn't come only when it comes into time and space, but the answer to normal faith is received when one is in the presence of God praying for such and such a thing. And having received it, can now go out of the prayer closet with the full assurance of faith that I've asked according to his will. I know I have been heard. I have given to God the right glory that is due and on the conviction and authority of his word, I can give him thanks before the thing has come to pass in time and space. And so when we go to now... uh, what the scriptures calls great faith, we have uh, the example of the centurion in the city of Capernaum. I love this. I love this example because this was a Gentile, okay? And with great faith, I, I, I caption it as faith as it can be. Normal faith is faith as it should be. But great faith is faith as it can be. And so uh, we are told that this man, when he, uh, with the Lord Jesus, when he completed all his words in the hearing of the people, he entered into Capernaum. So uh, essentially on his way down from the, from the mountain, uh, as he gave his, uh, his uh, teaching on <laughs> the heavenly life lived on earth. And a certain centurion's bondman was dear to him and was ill and was about to die. And having heard of Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews, uh, begging him that he might come to him and save his bondman. But they, being come to Jesus, besought him diligently, saying, He's worthy to whom you should grant this thing, for he loves our nation. And himself has built the synagogue for us. You know, I saw this synagogue on a a trip I made to Israel once. It's still there. It's still there. And so we can take a look a little, we can take a look at his approach. Because I think his approach is, is rather interesting. We're going to learn some things about this man's character. But these characteristics about his character may not necessarily be germane to the exercise of his faith. So we learn, for example, that he was motivated by love for another. So he essentially was an unselfish man. And he was moved by love. And at the time in that culture, they owned slaves. The Romans owned slaves. So he obviously had a slave that he loved. Now, I know that some are, you know, at this point feeling a little uncomfortable because it's, oh, you're advocating the Bible advocates slavery. Please remember that the the, the scriptures are both descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive and prescriptive. The Spirit of God describes at the time the culture. 
without necessarily endorsing the practice of the culture. That is descriptive. But when we learn about this man and the exercise of his faith and what the Lord Jesus taught about him, then we can say that there are some things that are prescriptive that we can extract and apply and practice. So this man was motivated by love and rightly so, he knew he was a Gentile. So he didn't send his Gentile friends, he sent his Jewish friends. And, and, and you know, this, this was probably a wise approach because he's now making a request of a Jewish Messiah to come to the house of a Gentile. And there's no reason why he should expect to be heard, but being prudent, he sends the elders of the Jews And they were begging the Lord Jesus on this man's behalf. And I think this is really a wonderful testimony as to the character of this soldier. Okay? He was a man worthy of that type of respect. And he was humble. He knew his place as a Gentile, so he sent his, you know, the Jewish leadership. And begging them, similar to the the, uh, leper, He takes the place of a lesser to a greater. I know in our culture today, you know, people, and and I understand, you know, that, that we are gods and, you know, God lives in us and so forth and so on. But there needs to be a certain spirit, spirit of a child that recognizes the authority and greatness of the one to whom we look. And so they are begging on his behalf. But not only that, this man was a bit of a philanthropist and evidently displayed good works. Why? Because he built the synagogue. So he was concerned not only for the Jewish people, but I think he had a certain affinity for the Jewish faith because he certainly believed in a Jewish Messiah because he had been hearing about Jesus. And we know that in Galilee, uh, where the Lord Jesus' ministry was, a lot of his works were done there, his great, his great miracles. So evidently, Jesus' fame, by this point, had been circulating. And uh, I love what it tells about the Lord Jesus. Because after they said he's worthy to whom this should be granted and that he loves our nation, it just simply says, and Jesus went with them. Not a word. He just went with them. He willingly went. And it tells us something about the heart of God towards people, devotees, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who have set their love on him. He is willing to bend his ear to hear our petitions and lend himself, his character, his power and grace to bring to pass in time and space something that didn't exist before we started asking. And I think the, the, the whole dynamic of prayer is so vital for the life and grace and joy of the Christian. And so the Lord Jesus went. But I, I, I love how the circumstance unfolds. Because Jesus went with them, we are told, But already when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent to him friends. So this man was looking eagerly, waiting to see if they're going to come. And the 
instant he saw that they are actually, that Jesus is actually going to come to his house, this is when we learn something of this man's character and the exercise of his faith. He was eagerly watching. He sent friends now. Okay, and it's rather interesting. The first group was the the Jewish elders because he knew I'm not worthy of this honor. And if Jesus comes to my house, I certainly am not worthy of that honor that the Jewish Messiah should come to a Gentile's home. So he sent his friends and then it unfolds. And listen to what he said. He said, don't trouble yourself For I am not worthy. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. I'm not worthy. And I didn't count myself worthy to come to you. And so when we are thinking about the exercise of great faith, it begins with a sense of humility that recognizes Lack of worth. Now, I know in our culture today, folks are having, you know, getting a bit twisted about, you know, self-esteem and all of this sort of these concepts, these, you know, self-deprecating concepts. I lack, you know, self-esteem. In a spiritual life, it's something totally different. It is a clear recognition of what I am juxtaposed to the holiness and, and, and greatness and, and, and righteousness and justice of a loving God who has made himself our Father through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when this man assessed himself, he says, You're not, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, and I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. And my friends, this has nothing to do with my good works or my self-assessment of my qualities. I am simply comparing myself to the Son of God. I'm not worthy. But the fact that you are coming, I'm honored. And here is where it really gets interesting. Because what he's about to say next is demonstrative of the fact that he recognized something about the character and person of the Lord Jesus Christ that the ordinary eye, the physical eye would not see, but the eyes of the heart would perceive this. And he says, Neither did I count myself worthy to come to you, but say by a word and my servant shall be healed. Just say the word. Just issue the command. He recognized the divine majesty that was before him. I'm not worthy to come to you, but just issue the command. You see, he is alluding to the fact that this is what God did at the beginning of creation. God said, let there be light. He recognized that Jesus had authority. He had authority, exousia, not just dunamis, Raw power, explosive power. It's like I, I may have mentioned before, it's, it, if you've ever been stopped by an officer for perhaps going slightly above the speed limit, <laughs> of course not. But if you have, 
when he steps out of his car, he has, he's armed with a weapon. That's dunamis. But on his chest is a metal uh, badge, if you will, which is indicative of his exousia, his authority. So on his hip is his dunamis, but on his chest is the exousia. On his hip is the power to restrain, to halt, if need be. But on his chest, he has the power, the authority, the backing of the government that issued the laws for order and safety. And so he is given the privilege and the right to exercise this authority at his or her discretion. And so this centurion recognized that the Lord Jesus has exousia. How do we know? Because he simply said to him, say the word and my servant shall be healed. And this is how we know. For he says, I also am a man placed under authority. And the key word here is also. I also. So what he's saying is, I see who you are. You have authority. And I understand your authority in a very limited way because I have authority. And he says, I say to one, come or go. And he goes into another, come and he comes. And to my bondman, do this and he does it. So he is recognizing that the reason the Lord Jesus can do and say and perform these miracles is that he has the backing of the majesty on high. Now, he may have understood in part about the incarnation. Maybe he didn't. We're not told. But what we are told is he recognized his exousia, his authority. So speak the word and the resulting healing will happen. And the Lord Jesus commended this man unlike anyone else when he said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Speak the word. And because you are under heaven's authority, the result will happen. Why? Because I also, in a very limited way, am a man of authority. And I say to one, go or come, and he comes or goes. And I say to one, do this, and he does it. Why? Because I have the backing of Rome. I understand the concept of authority. So in conclusion, as pertaining to great faith, that is faith as it can be, this man recognized Jesus' person. Now, I know there are conflicting arguments out there, but he recognized that Jesus is, in fact, a Jewish Messiah. He saw the unworth of himself, and he owned it gladly. He said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, and I didn't count myself worthy that I should go to you. He had no fear in asking, but not just asking, but asking the impossible. And I want to pause here for a moment. Because he took the liberty to tell the Son of God how he should perform the miracle. He said, don't even bother to come. Just say it and it's going to be done. Just say it. And we don't have many examples of that where someone says, say it 
you know, telling him how he should perform a miracle. And he does it. The only one that I can recall that comes close is that woman who had that hemorrhage for 12 years thereabouts. She said, if I but touch his, the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. So she set the parameters of her healing in her heart. And then she went forth and touched him. And it happened just as she thought. Well, this man also set the parameters. And this is what great faith does. It gives to God the glory and it asks of God the impossible. <laughs> Why? Because there's nothing impossible to him. That's why great faith is, in fact, great faith. No fear in asking the impossible. And he allows God, great faith allows God to exercise the same methodology as he did in the creation of the world. Just say the word. Sometimes when I'm praying about a certain thing, I ask the Lord, just issue the command. Command it from heaven and it shall be done. It only takes a word from the majesty on high to answer our prayers. It's like when Daniel began to pray and as soon as he began praying, I believe it was Michael that was sent forth. Now, Michael encountered some resistance. But the instant he started praying, why? This man had a relationship with God that when he bent his knee, that is Daniel, he was going to be answered and God responded immediately. And this centurion exercised or allowed or ascribed to God the same methodology that he used in the creation of the world. Just say the word. He gave God the glory that he is due. And now we come to <laughs> the last of the last. And that is the uh, disciples. And we know of their circumstance as they are on the boat. They were told to that they would go to the other side. They would go to the other side. And we have the same, the same narrative uh, explained to us with slight, slight differences in both in, in Luke chapter 8 and Mark 4 and I believe Matthew chapter 8. And so... Uh, here are these men <laughs> going with the Lord Jesus to the other side where the Gadarenes are. And Jesus says to them, you know, as he entered into the ship, and they're going to pass over to the other side of the lake. And they set off from the shore. And as they sail, the Lord Jesus falls asleep. And suddenly a squall of wind came uh, on the lake. And, and of course, the waters were greatly agitated and they were in danger. They were in danger. And uh, they came to him uh, in, in Luke's gospel, at least, and said, Master, Master, we perish. We're going to die. <laughs> and he, rising up, rebuked the wind and the raging of the waters. And they ceased and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And being afraid, they were astonished, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Now, this is rather interesting, because um, uh, in Luke chapter 8, uh, they said, We perish, Master, we, we're, we're going to die. In Matthew's uh, gospel, they said, Lord, save us. In Mark's gospel, uh, Essentially, they said, Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? <laughs> in other words, <laughs> don't you care? So one, they're exclaiming, we're going to die. In another, 
passage, they're saying, don't you care we're going to die? And then lastly, Lord, please save us. Now, you know, I, I, some will say, well, what accounts for the slightly different rendering? You know, there were several men in that boat. Who knows who said what, but Lord Jesus knowing their hearts, knowing what they were thinking. So what we have in the disciples are some that, that are, uh, this is faith as it often is. Let me just say this at the outset. This is representative of many of us. Now, we go to church and we, we talk the talk, but when it comes to walking the walk, we're not really walking the walk. For many of us, our faith is just, just missing. It's not even there. It's misplaced. For others, they just don't have faith. And for some, well, there's a little bit of faith, but it's far insufficient to meet the crisis of the moment. And so there are some things we need to think about. By the time these men got into the boat, they had seen some miracles that the Lord Jesus performed. Let's just look at, at two or three of them. Well, firstly, they saw the centurion's servant healed. Now, they may not have seen the actual healing because the Lord Jesus never got to the man's house. But the Lord Jesus spoke of the man and the greatness of his faith, and I'm certain he issued the command and the man's servant was healed. Now, if the disciples were there, they could have concluded to themselves, well, you know, the Lord Jesus just issued a command. Now, did they think, well, how does he know that the man was healed? Well, they can, it's predicated on the fact that he had been healing people before. Not only that, but uh, in uh, verses 11 to 17 uh, of the same chapter, the widow's son who died was raised to life right there in the funeral procession. So the, the command of the Lord Jesus transcends space and time in the healing of the centurion's servant, and it transcends and reaches the world of departed souls right down into Hades. As you know from the Gospel of Luke, Hades has two compartments. For the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead. When the rich man and Lazarus had died, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. And uh, the rich man was in torment in Hades. And there was a great gulf fixed between the two. And this is before the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, when the Abraham's bosom was emptied as a result. But I digress. The point here is that the command of the Lord Jesus doesn't also transcend space and time, but it reaches even to Hades to call a departed soul back to indwell the body. He raised the dead. And no doubt the disciples would have seen uh, those who have been healed in chapter 8, beginning of chapter 8, first two verses, healed of wicked spirits. So when he commands an evil spirit to leave a person's body, he is sending this spirit to the netherworld. So the command of our Lord Jesus transcends space and time. It reaches down to Hades and it even reaches the netherworld. And if he's able to do that, no wonder the disciples have received a rebuke in their fear exhibited in the midst of a storm. Because he asked them, where is your faith? And have you no faith? And oh, you of little faith. There was stern rebuke for the unbelieving nature of their 
hearts. And so when we think of a miracle, miracles teach us about God, about his ways, his compassion for men. But it also tells us that time and space constraints are amended when God steps in to answer prayer. And that his authority, that is of the Lord Jesus, is without bounds. When he healed the centurion's servant, he transcended space and time. When he raised the widow's son, his power and authority reaches down into Hades to call back a departed soul. And when he cast out demons, he subjected them to the place that they are consigned to in the netherworld. And so we learn about the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, let's go to the other side, they were going to go to the other side and nothing was going to stop them. But these men are representative of so many believers. You see, when he asked, where is your faith? Their faith was misplaced. And sometimes believers are sitting in church and we're singing the songs of Zion. But guess what? When you examine our hearts and the things that we're praying for are not praying at all. It's because we have no confidence that God is able to do exactly what he promised to do. And we are told in Hebrews that it is impossible for God to lie. And in Mark's gospel, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. They had no faith. So some of them evidently in that boat, in spite of the miracles that were done, in spite of the fact that his command transcended space and time, and his command reached, reached down into Hades in, in the world where departed souls are, and that his, his power and authority reaches even into the netherworld, they didn't believe that. It was just another event. They were no different than the unbelieving people of the day. And in another case, he rebuked them for being of little faith. It was not enough for the test. And my dear friends, I want to say this, that oftentimes God allows trials into our lives, not because he's punitive, but he's giving us opportunity to strengthen our faith, to search the word of God for promises that apply to our circumstances so that we can see the might and power and grace of God applied in our lives. But what we find, sadly, is that our faith is much smaller than the size of the circumstance. And thus, when we view God through the prism of that little faith or misplaced faith or absent faith, the trial looms larger. These men were closest to him. They were witnesses of the preceding miracles of healing at a distance and, and someone returning from Hades to indwell a body when they were uh, going to, to the burial or, or, or casting out demons. They were witnesses of these things. And so I ask you, my friend, as we are beginning to quiet, on, quiet our hearts in God's presence, quiet our souls beside still waters, what does your storm tell you about your faith? What is your storm right now? These men, in their reactions, essentially said, we're going to die. We're going to die. 
we perish. And the Lord Jesus asked him, where is your faith? Where did you put it? What did you put it in? In what is your faith resting? Some may have said, Master, don't you care that we perish? And they have assigned it to God, a lack of love and compassion and grace and care. We are exhorted in the word of God, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. But some have concluded God doesn't care. They become despondent in their hearts and cry in unbelief that I'm all alone in this world and yet I call myself a child of God. My dear friends, if you and I are children of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, nothing we are told in Romans 8, nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God as it is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing. He cares for us. But they said, Master, don't you care? You're absent from our, from our circumstances. And some undoubtedly must have said, Lord, save us. They know that they can't turn to anyone, but it's, it's a cry. It's like when Israel was at the Red Sea and they cried out to Jehovah. It wasn't a cry of, we are looking to you, we are waiting upon you to act. It was a cry of, oh my goodness, we're going to die, save us. <laughs> but Moses turned and cried to Jehovah, and Jehovah said to him, why are you crying to me? Tell them to go forward. And eventually, you know the circumstances, as he raised uh, that shepherd's staff, and an east wind blew all night, and they saw the impossible take place by the hand of Moses. And so as we think of faith, here we are considering faith as it often is, missing, absent, or just too little. And we dishonor the majesty that awaits our cry that he may show himself strong on our behalf. I, I've mentioned before as we are settling our hearts right now, when the seer said to King Asa, for the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him. God wants to show himself strong on your behalf and mine. It behooves us to come before him in greatness of our faith, ascribing to him the due, the majesty, the glory but it is, it's willing to look and take God at his word and, and to ask, if need be, the impossible. To do as we have learned in, in, in a previous podcast, to be importunistic in our approach with God, praying and continuing to pray until the answer comes. Oh, my dear friend, if we have a faith as it should be, glory to God. But how good it would be if we have a faith as it can be, like the centurion, great faith. But as long as God gives us grace, let us do our best to avoid having a faith as it often is, missing, absent, or simply too little. As we quiet our hearts yet again beside still waters, 
Let us ask God for the grace to give him the glory that is due by exercising great faith, faith as it can be. Oh, may God bless you and grace you with this desire in your heart for your blessing and for his glory. Thank you for joining Besides the Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides the Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.